0: Always asked to be turned up in the headphones mm-hmm. at the beginning. Like Jay or Hove,
1: you know. Is that, these are rapists?
2: <laughs> we, we, we know of new methods of attack. The The fifth column, 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 Oh, man. Oh, my God, you're coming in hot. Greetings. <laughs> Boom. <laughs>
0: Matt Welch's wife sent word, yeah. that I was insufficiently excited at the beginning of the show. I don't want you to doubt my level of enthusiasm.
2: Oh dear God!
0: Uh we, 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 can I quit at the beginning on. of the podcast? No. Ad libbing, to
2: wait to the end to quit. Ad libbing, God, throwing oh, in God. sound oh, effects.
0: Oh, okay, enough extra FDR for you. Jeez, at ass. <laughs> Welcome to the Fifth Column Podcast, Episode Eight. I am Camille Foster, Freethink Media. I do various things there. I am joined by my co-conspirators, my partners in crime, my, my very good friends. I'm delighted to be joined by them. Matt Welch of Reason Magazine. Hi. Hello, Matt. It's good Hi. to see you. I mean, like... Glad you made it back just here safely. Out, like
2: Kim Jong-un, you're clapping for yourself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> just so you know. That's not me.
0: And, uh, and my good friend, Michael Moynihan. Hi. Of, of various affiliations. Yeah. Contributor That's- to The Daily Beast. Contributor at Vice News, sure. writes things for various other people. Indeed. Gentlemen, <laughs> it is a wonderful and glorious day. I'm delighted to be here with you in Manhattan. Mm. Not so much in Midtown because I don't really like Midtown. Yeah, nobody does. But whatever. Uh, we do have a lot of stuff to talk about today, though. Apparently there is uh, still a presidential primary that just refuses to end. Um, and I don't want to talk about it long. I just want to do a drive-by. Like, pull out AK-47s, just spray the whole place and just end (laughs) the whole thing. Just over and done with. Jeez. Uh, So we'll talk a little bit about that. (laughs) Uh, Apparently, Venezuela is still imploding. Uh, Real, real tragedy. Um, And uh, it would not be right for us to not discuss that a little bit and to throw some serious shade at the uh, people, the good people who managed to get that call so wrong. Uh, And apparently there's this thing called the Libertarian Party. They also have candidates for president. Talk a little bit about that. And uh, JK. Rowlings is having
2: a torrid affair with Donald Trump. It's JK Rowling. That's what I said. No, you didn't. You put an n and s on it. do white yeah. to yeah. me. Yeah. This is you know, uh, the way know, that we talk. Just b- because I'm a honky and you're not, <laughs> I just anything I explain to you would be white-splaining. Don't tell it? me I'm not white.
0: <laughs> um, I did. I did discover uh, this week that I'd uh, been name-checked and denigrated by a, a, a internet publication. Oh God! Which one? And they—I don't—I don't even want to say call out them. Okay, name. but they did like Were you put called
1: a tag—a renegade Jew. Well, no, chance? I was called—I oh, yeah, was
0: called a token. Oh, and I was also the hashtag on the post was Uncle Ruckus.
1: Uncle Ruckus, what the hell?
2: Yeah. By the way, I have a computer in front yeah. of me, so I'm looking this up. Right now. Shots fired.
1: <laughs> I mean, how how could you? So you're a token? Where? Uh, I, I'm a token on this po- podcast.
0: I, no, I was a token for an appearance I did on uh, on a network called uh, fox news um and I, I was talking about the president or something i don't even
1: know you um, were talking about the things. howard university commencement address actually you... i don't
0: even think it was that show oh, okay i think it was another one i think this was the one where some kids at harvard were insisting that all black students should get free tuition because they are being they're having their opportunities limited uh because of past injustices uh and i suggested that they shouldn't get free tuition uh and for that i'm apparently a token and uh And Uncle Ruckus. So it's good to know that. And I just wanted to point that out for all of you. Uh, there may also be strong language on this podcast. I apologize in advance. If you are uh, traveling in your car with small children, please turn up the volume. It's important that they learn these <laughs> lessons early and soon. Yeah. Let your children out and, uh, you know,
2: have them be free range children. Why yeah. not? Let them walk. Strap them to the roof. Isn't yeah. that
1: what Mitt Romney did? Yeah. Yes. Right. In a cage.
0: In a cage, of course. Uh, so, yeah. Presidential primary going on. Apparently, Trump is closing the gap with, uh, with one Hillary Clinton. Bernie Sanders is continuing to win meaningless primaries, at least we suspect he will. Again, we are taping on a Tuesday for your Wednesday morning and why is it gotta
1: why is it gotta be meaningless? Isn't well, the victory a victory, Camille? Why Matt,
0: is, you tell me. It aren't, aren't these meaningless victories? They will not ultimately win him the presidency. What are we learning at this point? What are we doing other than annoying me to no end? By why this thing why are
1: you afraid of political competition? I thought competition was a good thing. If there's if there are competing views and Bernie Sanders isn't even a Democrat. Right. So, like, he wants to influence this party that he doesn't belong to, although that he caucuses with He wants to push. Jesse Jackson didn't leave the race in 1988 until the end uh, because he wanted to fight over platforms and pull Dukakis to the left because that worked out so well. (laughs) And and, and by the
2: way, uh, Jesse Jackson, 1988, did a number uh, of appearances with one Bernie Sanders. Um, People, for some reason, haven't pointed this out. You can find these videos online, the CCTV, not the Chinese Communist uh, Television Network, which is actually also called CCTV, but a local Burlington um, cable access thing. If you just look up uh, Jesse Jackson and Bernie Sanders, he was really stumping for, uh, for for Jackson in the 88 election. They did a lot of appearances together, so hmm. it's a good... Uh, did
1: Sanders I, uh, also support Jerry Brown in 92, I would suppose? Because it's the same exact... It's I the mean, same platform. It's Control-V. Yeah, control
2: v. yeah okay. um, his Control-V. I, I don't know, actually. I don't know what he did in 92. And Jerry yeah. Brown
1: in 92 went all the way he won a lot of late primaries he was actually not supposed to be given a speaking slot because he refused to endorse bill clinton gave his speech which i recommend everyone go and watch because it's insane and really interesting um very sanders like at three in the morning or something you know banging his shoe on the on the uh, podium talking about the uh, primacy of income inequality which we're actually going to get to a little bit later mm-hmm. as regards to venezuela and our friends uh, on the left uh, in america who are stupid uh, but <laughs> ouch uh, some of them are smart listen, I know I'm, I'm just not it's, I wasn't making they're not, a, they're not uniquely stupid I wasn't making saying, a yeah. group yeah. there's some yeah. friends who are stupid who are on the yes. left yeah, that's right? good that, yes. I'm not that's, I'm that's not, fair I don't no, believe in collective guilt unless it's about uh, Michael Moynihan and the Swedes you wrote a piece that's coming out right in yeah. the Swedish newspaper about Donald Trump uh, I think today I think today or tomorrow. Do you have a Swe- Swedish hashtag? Um,
2: I don't. It'll be in uh, Svenska Dagbladet, SVD. The um, I the that big, in one of the college. big college. Um, yeah. yeah. Me too. I caught it last week, actually. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, just uh, yeah. I got nothing to do during the day, so uh, yeah. I wrote a piece in which I blamed Donald Trump um, on the Europeans. Um, I'm, I'm sticking my finger in their eye a little bit. They like, they like to get uh, annoyed with me, but you know, what I find really interesting is if you go to the European press, um, headline that I found actually a really interesting one when I was doing this piece was in, uh, Der Spiegel, the, uh, the German news magazine, which is the largest, uh, sort of news magazine in the, uh, in, in Europe in which, uh, the cover story, it was a translation of a cover story in which it identified Donald Trump as the most dangerous single person in the world. Um, Okay. Uh, And (laughs) I think around the same day, which I pointed out in the piece, the Independent um, had a story about AFD, Alternative for Deutschland, the alternative for Germany, the the sort of populist far-right party in Germany that's making enormous gains. And the headline was, a party more dangerous than Donald Trump. So there's a competition in Europe and who's the most dangerous, but Donald Trump is sort of orbiting around this idea of who's the most dangerous. But it's really interesting to see the New York Times had a couple of stories about this of like, oh God, oh shock, oh horror. What are the Europeans thinking about us that we are on the way to nominating this psychopath as the Republican uh, nominee? What I pointed out is a very simple thing is that all of this stuff exists in europe in slightly different forms they're slightly slightly but only slightly more genteel about it so the uh, the difference with trump is he's just crass and vulgar and oafish and says whatever he pleases and europeans do that but they they sort of coat it in a in a a sort of a layer of uh you know something to make it a little bit more digestible they're
1: they're not talking about their dicks no they're not talking about their dicks but but you know Hmm.
2: yurt Wilders. Who you know him the the sort of uh, you know blonde haired uh, Dutch uh, anti Islam politician? His party VVD is now the biggest party in the Netherlands. It's the big polling is the biggest party. He came out and 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 in support of Donald Trump and endorsed him, I don't mean, need Dutch sort of parliamentarians endorsing Trump, on Twitter, as did Jean-Marie Le Pen, said, may God protect Donald Trump. This is not a particularly American thing. It's just the presentation. So I ended the piece by explaining the old anti-drug ad in which the guy comes into the room, people of a certain vintage will remember this, and and shows the marijuana paraphernalia to the kid and says, where did you learn this? And he snaps and says, I learned it from watching you, Dad. And I finish the piece by saying, we learned it from watching you, Europe. Because a lot of this stuff that comes from Donald Trump, the, po- the policies of the far right in Europe are very very similar in the sense that economic policies their populist economic policies they're pro russian the, the national front is very pro putin uh they're anti free trade and they like the superstructure of the welfare state provided that that money goes to people that aren't brown <laughs> and there's a lot of overlap here with trump
1: and also i would i would uh, add that so europe has been involved in this historic uh integration effort uh, over the last 25 years And which included for all the libertarian crazies who are listening to this, um, you know, the largest privatization in world's history. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, trillions of dollars worth of of state owned crap in Western Europe was privatized as a condition of these countries harmonizing their economies and things like that. So uh, in addition to that, you know, the European integration is uh, has been up till this moment a great blow for peace because these people have been shooting at each other forever uh, and have stopped. Uh, But. At the same time, it is inherently an anti-democratic thing. It's an anti-nationalist and nationalism thing, um, although that can be a little bit uh, tricky because it allowed for, you know, a different regional cultural identities like the Basques to have a little bit more re- representation than they did before. But so you have this anti-democratic or anti-elitist um, pro kind of democratic move as part of that. Like the, I see some of the Le Pen and the Kind of, you know, right and left wing don't really make a lot of uh, sense uh, necessarily when we talk about it, but yeah. it's, it's referred to mm-hmm. as the far right in Europe. But a lot of that uh, overlaps, you know, very well with people who, like in in England, who want to uh, leave the uh, the euro, uh, who are always carping on about Brussels and things like that. So when you have a an anti-democratic sort of elite super state, even if it does nothing but good and the EU does more than nothing but good, um, which is a little bit hard to follow. What I just said, um, they do, what you're trying I, to say is they, do a, of, they you, do a man. lot of bad they, they, they do <laughs> yeah. some crap. Um, yeah. So that's part of it. And I think yeah. in America, you see, I mean, a lot of the Trump support is this expression of of hostility against what the elite has been telling us what to think. I mean, this, this is from the perception of pro Trump supporters. So there's a, there are weird, uh, there are overlaps there. The, uh, and, and it's in, and there's overlaps also on, uh, on policy of, of like, uh, these are the people who hate NATO. These are the people who are in direct bed with, with Vladimir Putin, who is actually, if we're being honest about the most dangerous man in the world, um, I you know he's got to be up there in the in
2: and and it's also worth pointing out that he's and this is not conspiratorial stuff I mean this is this is out there um, and documented like he funds these parties like so so Front National in France the the far right and again air quotes for that the far right party um, is funded by by the Kremlin and and you know this is the same through Hungary it's also true in other places but you know it's it's to the point of Swedes or Norwegians or. Germans, when they talk about Trump, it's really interesting to watch um, why they talk about him in the way that they do, mm-hmm. because it allows them for two, to do two things. It allows them to to sort of you know take their eye off the, the ball locally, because there's so much humiliation about what's going on. If you talk about Sweden internally, the sort of left in Sweden, or the sort of moderate left, or even people on the right, will say this country has been overrun by fascists. But you, you, you talk about it internally. You don't want to externally. You say Externally, you say, you know, you guys should be more like us. I mean, listen to Bernie Sanders. So there's two kind of narratives going on. And the other thing that's great about this for them is that Donald Trump actually fulfills all of their um, filthy little fantasies about what Americans are. Vulgar, like crass, um, you know, uh, obsessed with money and a bit dopey and a bit stupid and xenophobic. So, I mean, he just hits all the erogenous zones of what Europeans think about Americans now in a in, in, in politician form. But the only difference between Donald Trump and so many European politicians is that, you know, the, the filter is gone. And the filter, and by the way, when you take the filter off in Europe too, it also works. That's why Jurt Wilders is, is hugely successful in the Netherlands. That's why these parties in Sweden that are from the sort of ashes of neo-Nazi parties are so successful. Because they say things and, and people forget about this. And Americans should always remember this, that there is a working class in Europe. Now people say, what are you talking about? But when people think of Europe, they say, oh, you know, Europe is so sophisticated compared to us. If you go into the country in France, as I know, Matt, you have done, if you go into the country in, in Sweden, as I've done many, many times, I mean, this is no different than going to juggalo fest in, in <laughs> Ohio, but it's juggalo fest with a different accent. And the, the Americans don't understand that Europe is a place. That, so, for instance, um, I tweeted this out the other day. There was a, um, a judge... It came down to a judge in Italy that ruled in favor of uh, same-sex civil unions, not marriage. So I pulled a number that I had stashed away somewhere. 2003, because I wrote about this in 2003, 2004, the approval rating for gay marriage in Italy— now, we tend to think of Italy as a very sort of modern, we go to Forward Rome thinking. and we go sure. to the, the Amalfi Coast, 12% support. Mm. And the same thing was, is true in Poland. It was about 8%. So when we think of Europe in our kind of way that we should be more like Europe, we're being very selective about which Europe. We're talking about sort of Norway and Western Europe and France. And, and even then, only urban centers. So I, mean, I think stuff, it's a really the, weird the elites. thing. Yeah. Stuff
1: like, uh, you know, uh, gay adoption is the ex- exception, not the rule in Europe, in In France. And they might have changed this only recently with the Socialists, but I, I'm not sure that they have. Uh, we've had friends who wanted to have a baby as a like a 40 year old single mom wanted to get the turkey baster going. That's not legal or wasn't legal forever in France. And hmm. you go to the French doctor, they say, yeah, oh, why don't you just go to Club Med? You know, find some men, um, you know, so instead of actually having a sort of a safe medical Uh, And a selection process, you know, just go get drunk and get laid, and that's the best way to do it. Um, So, yeah, a lot of these uh, uh, supposedly enlightened, forward looking things. I do. In
2: 2013, I'll just say to Matt's point, because I just looked this up and I had the number handy uh, 51%, a slim majority in 2013. 51% 51% of French people opposed the gay adoption. Wow. So the idea that we should be as like sort of, you know, during the Clinton scandals, mm-hmm. we, we should be sexually liberated like France. Well, you know, be sort of heterosexually <laughs> liberated like France. Selectively. Yeah, yeah. Selectively. So anyway. Just I to- mean, I do wonder
0: about the, uh, the way those culturally conservative values, conservative in the American sense, uh, sort of dovetail with the populist sentiments. Like the xenophobia does, in fact, seem to be a pretty common thread Um, And I've often wondered, I mean, we hear we talk a lot about it here in this country as, oh, Donald Trump is racist. It is racism. Mm. Um, But it seems more appropriate to call it what it is. It is xenophobia. It's tribalism. It is fear of outsiders. We don't want money going to people who look like them. They are the outsiders who are competing for jobs. Uh, When I was in South Africa, and I may may have talked about it on this podcast before when I was in South Africa. um, Gosh, it must have been November uh, or December of last year. Uh, Donald Trump was still gathering steam um, and that was all they could talk about. I mean, all yeah. of the the press that was that was uh, all of the media on television, BBC, et cetera, was what was playing for the most part. Uh, we're only talking about Donald Trump narrowly. And I had conversations with folks where I was assuring them that it was unlikely he would win the nomination mm-hmm. uh, because there were so many people. I was completely wrong. Um, but but I also remember from my first trip there, um, the intense xenophobia uh, demonstrated towards the Zimbabweans who again happen to look a lot like the the black Africans in South Africa. They look similar, um, but they're different and it is sufficient to develop all sorts of disgusting racist sounding tropes about those other people who are taking our stuff. Um, And I often wonder about the way in which we reduce things to racism in this, in this country, we sort of create this very dark, um, bold, unbroken line from sort of the founding of the country to today uh, when we look at any number of issues where race sort of comes into play. So when Donald Trump makes disparaging comments about Mexican immigrants, uh, we say, oh, that's racist. That's disgusting. Um, does it matter? Do you guys this think is, it matters that it's that re-
2: tribalism versus racism? Look, I think this is a really, really interesting line of thought, and it's one that's often like this issue is subsumed to a, a dumber and easier point to make, which is that it's all about racism. The idea that it's not about racism is totally wrong, too, because there's a lot of that that, that, sure. that exists. But to your point about Zimbabweans coming into South Africa and taking jobs, if you look at the, the, the sort of corollary in Europe, I mean, in the 1990s, after the refugee crisis and after the war in Bosnia, an, Sweden was as open as they are today with Syrian refugees with Bosnians. I mean, So the, there was a point where the criminal class in Sweden, in all the suburbs, the gangs, the people that would like control the doors at clubs and take tribute, were all all Bosnians. They were all sort of big, you know, like Kosovars, Bosnians, Serbians, etc. Anybody, I mean, you can't even, it doesn't even matter at that point, Mm -hmm. but they were basically all honkies. They're all white people. And the same thing then was true when you saw the free movement of labor coming across the posters that you would see in places, in France especially, uh, and in Sweden too, usually put together by labor unions about the Polish Polish plumber. If you look up the Polish plumber and there was all of this really heated rhetoric about like about Polish people and it's like these fucking poles are taking our jobs and I heard this from a million people I mean the, it does not in any sense mean that there is not racial animosity that underpins a lot of this stuff there is absolutely and there's religious uh, uh, animosity true too of like you know Islam is coming in and supplanting our traditions But that is not always the only factor. The thing is, is the wages thing. I mean, look, if there were Canadians coming and picking lettuce in America, would it be different? Yeah, I think the rhetoric would definitely be different. Let's be honest about it. Yeah. But would there be a big sort of populist movement about these people who are aliens, who are not us? And they don't deserve what what, what we ha- is our birthright as American citizens, our jobs, quote unquote. So, I mean, I think that there's there there's a lot to the to the racial element. But I think that you're right. I think it I think it overwhelms sort of, you know, nuanced thought about it.
1: Jesse Walker, um, great uh, books editor for Reason, uh, uh, has been going to Trump rallies. And I was just editing his uh, account from them. That'll be appearing in a forthcoming issue of the magazine and plug. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's actually interesting. Um, but his uh, big takeaway, uh, look, you know, looking at this, is there a sense of violence? And you know, what's the difference between uh, our perception of the media perception of it? And what, what do you see there? And his overwhelming feeling was that he was at. Uh, uh, he was in the sports arena that mm-hmm. it was it was us versus them was totally, totally important. Yes. It was crucial to everything. Uh, and under I mean, the the biggest applause line is still the Mexican wall and that they're going to build it and this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, the vibe largely was watching, you know, the Red Wings play the Islanders or something Absolutely. like that. Uh, and the, a lot of it was just sort of playful, even with the protesters right there, people kind of like laughing and and, uh, and almost high fiving one another. Um, but. Because that is the thing that animates every everybody, you just don't know where it's going to go. I mean, when you flirt with us versus them as a basic concept, you get straight into collectivism, which is my biggest problem with it. And the mm-hmm. other thing is that America has successfully not been too nationalistic over the years uh, in the nation state type of way. Europe, I mean, one of the reasons why this thing gets expressed so uglyly, which is a word I just <laughs> made, uh, uh, is that Europe is still mostly, with the exception of Switzerland and a few other places, uh, nation states. And so the when you have that kind of nationalistic response, then it gets tied up with, well, what looks or smells or feels or prays differently than me? And it gets you to not just really shitty kind of economic ideas, but straight up racist as the as public enemy once uh, miss. Uh, uh, accused uh, uh, Elvis Presley of being. Um, <laughs> uh, and that's what I worry about here, too. Like once you go to us versus them, once you get that kind of nationalism, not only are you going to get the stupidest trade policy in the history of mankind if, uh, if Donald Trump gets his way, and hopefully he won't, um, but then you also you start to whip this thing up and you don't know where it ends.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I mean, and you, and you talk to people in Europe about this and I have I have done this, um, you know, talking to sort of individuals, average people about this who vote for um, what I would call extremist parties. And you know it's an interesting thing because they really do look at this without this kind of scope of history. It's not it's not sort of informed by you know, Italy became a state in 1861, and Germany in you know 1871. We're all new states. It's they don't they don't have there's, there's no historical background. It's just a simple thing. And and I, I find a lot of the Trump rallies too is that this is the country that I grew up in. Right. It has an enormous and welfare in Europe is really 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 important to the anti-immigrant sentiment. I mean, in a way that it's not in America. It's we have, our services are being pressed. By all of these people, this is very common in Sweden. I hear this from everybody. This is why the far-right parties are always welfare state parties. In Denmark, they're huge welfare. The Danish People's Party, the Sweden Democrats, if you look at their platforms, they always want more welfare spending, but they want to prevent immigrants from taking that from them. So the when they look back wistfully at the 1950s, it's not a Ward-Cleaver thing. They look back at an enormous you know, apparatus of welfare where you could walk in at any time, mm-hmm. get your health care. Taxes were high, but everybody was happy and everyone got along. There was no violence in the suburbs. And people will look at you and say, what is wrong with this? What is wrong with that? And you know what? It's a tough question to answer to say, like, I don't think your nostalgia. I think it's a little rose colored, but I don't think your nostalgia is something that should be dismissed by the quote unquote elites. Well, speaking of welfare
0: um, and uh, welfare in the in the extreme, uh, the crisis in Venezuela uh, continues to unfold. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've read like the torrent of awful accounts of what is happening there. Uh, and it it really is like gut wrenching and heartbreaking stuff, like kids who are laying in cancer wards who have no access to cancer medication. Um, hospitals that are not just devoid of medication, but actually don't have hand sanitizer and soap where doctors are washing their hands with seltzer water before trying to perform operations. Um, toilet paper is harder to find than currency. Like it is, it is so abjectly fucked up and mm-hmm. awful and completely predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were plenty of people who were calling out the utter ridiculousness of the policies of Hugo Chavez and his successor. Um, and there were also plenty of people who were vehemently defending him Uh, And defending the policies that were being instituted and were in many cases qualifying their defenses and saying, look, they're not perfect. They don't have a perfect civil rights record. There's (laughs) there's civil liberties record. There's plenty of things that they need to do better. But he's he's accomplishing good, good things for the people there. Um, And they published pieces. Mm -hmm. And uh, thankfully, those pieces have not gone away. They're still there. And those people have responsibly. Taken responsibility for being wrong. And recanted their positions.
2: <laughs> so, which one of those bits that Camille just said is a lie? <laughs> I, Spot am, the I lie. am totally
0: bullshitting you. They have not recanted <laughs> their positions. Um, they've doubled down in some cases. Yeah. Doubled down. Um, so there's there's a couple of these pieces floating around, and we can we can kick them around a little bit. We do have uh, some audio of a few of these characters. Um, Mark uh, Weisport, Weisbrot. 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 Yeah. I, I should get his name correct because it's important. Accuracy is important, and truth and integrity <laughs> are important. Um, and he uh, he wrote in defense of uh, of Venezuela. When uh, what what did he bury in this piece? Do you have any any sense of the, uh, the specific
2: details yeah. of his of his defense? Well, yeah, because Weisbrot has been been making this defense since 1999, since when Hugo Chavez came on the scene. Um, I might have mentioned this before, but it is, you know, my former UMass professor where I went to school wrote a book about this and uh, with the great title Political Pilgrims. And the Americans who travel to various countries, uh, trying to find the next utopia, and they always collapse. So you just go to the next one, right? Soviet Union collapses, you go to Cuba. Cuba collapses, you go to China. China ends in genocide. You go to literally go to Cambodia. People, and you know now what do we do in 1999? The triumph of neoliberalism. People started going, and neoliberalism is of course a pejorative. Yes, um, you go to uh, Venezuela, and so Venezuela. You know Hugo Chavez was saying all the right things right and these economic miracles that are pointed out by people like um, Mark Weisbrot, um, a couple things to point out about them. First of all, most of these numbers and situations like this always come from the government, and these are not democratic governments with uh, with transparent. Uh, accounting uh, practices that 's the first thing. The second thing is that is that none of this i mean this was all inevitable for for one reason is that this was all based on oil there 's no parallel economy in Venezuela that produces anything else. so when oil was one hundred and forty dollars a barrel, you know a lot of money's coming into the country uh-huh. they are they are uh, sending uh, money and oil to Nicaragua they're sending it to Ecuador they're sending it to Bolivia they're sending it to Cuba all of these countries that are ideologically simpatica right so you know it's it's going great well not actually so when I was in Venezuela and what is happening now with Venezuela is, is, the, is the frustrating thing and uh, and again I mentioned this the other day is that is that it it's sort of the 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 Lenin Trotsky problem <clears throat> what you get with people in the Soviet Union, was that, you know, Lenin died in 1924, I think, Trotsky was exiled after the Civil War. So we could hold those people up because they didn't really stick around long enough to do something really horrible. So you're a Leninist, you're a Trotsky, but nobody was a Stalinist, right? So what we're doing now is we're replaying the Venezuelan drama and forgetting about everything that happened happened before the current president, Nicola Maduro. So the argument now by people like Weisbrot is like, you know, everything was great with Chavez. This guy right. seemed to bugger things up a little bit. I was there during the Chavez uh, reign and I have never seen, I mean, it is was absolutely astonishing. And I got off the plane and I was in the airport and an official in a Bolivarian revolutionary outfit offered to sell me black market dollars, which I bought, by the way, uh, <laughs> at a very good rate. Um, so there, was, there were two parallel currencies at the time. Um, at the time, also, this is a country that had been gripped by, before people were dying, I mean, there were some people, this was happening at the time, too, people dying in hospital beds. You had a country of 30 million people, and think about this for a second, 28, 29, 30 million people, the year that I was there, there were 21,000 murders, 21,000 murders Oy. and 30 million people. Yeah. In this country, America, plagued by violence, we have 320 million people, 330 million people, and I think that year we had 14,000 murders. So Venezuela with, you know, we have 300 million more people than they do. And they were outpacing us in the murder bracket by what, 10,000 or something close to that, or maybe 8,000. So, I mean, this is a country that has been in in, in collapse and in a, a, a tailspin for a while. But what we see is what we see from intellectuals and, and Hollywood figures from, you know, Harry Belafonte to Sean Penn to Michael Moore. Uh, To Danny Glover. I mean, there's a list of these people. If I were to have gone out and supported the Pinochet regime or if I had gone out and supported, you know, Marcos or if I had gone out and supported one of the Duvaliers or something, I would never live it down. And I think that's justifiable. For some reason, as long as you have good intentions. And I have always called this, you know, I think I've said this to you, Camille, that, you know, it's the Michael Moynihan free breakfast uh, uh, (laughs) uh, idea is that as long as you give people free breakfast, you can kill people. And you can, you know, destroy an economy. And it's like, you know, they really meant well. The Black Panthers gave free, but Hamas was, had, a, had a nursery program. And unfortunately, what we're seeing now is that there, you don't need to say sorry for defending rotten dictatorships. And it is a dictatorship because you know people that I know people that have gone to jail right. in in Venezuela for right. for being on the other side. And this is something that that you know you have people like Mark Weisbrot and these guys tweeting about and and, and debating a story from the other day. And then I'll 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 shut up. But the one it drove me crazy it was like Nicol Maduro announced on television, and, and this is the kind of country these people are supporting, by the way. He announces on television. That uh, unused factories will be will be yes, taken over, confiscated by the, by the state, confiscated by the state. That's and nice. what was the second bit of that that nobody said? They said, "Well, that's really interesting," and he ordered the owners of them to be arrested. Yep. the president. There's no due process here. The president is going on television and saying people will be arrested. What is that? Yeah. And they and they're not a dictatorship? Empty, and they're, they're not empty threats. They're not empty threats. It, no, empty threat. empty threat. actually, it actually happens. It doesn't go through courts and there are rubber stamp corps. But he is going on television and saying people should be arrested. I spent, you know, uh, you know four or five hours in an airport lounge in transit somewhere with a guy who was a businessman uh, named Pedro, who is, who is living in uh, Washington now, who uh, was not arrested. Venezuelan guy, but it was made clear to him by state media that something bad was going to happen to him. He's not like, well, I can get a good lawyer. We can fight this out. He's like, I'm getting out of here. So he left and he's been gone from Venezuela for five years. This is the country that is now collapsing. And this is the country that countries collapse all the time. But here's the difference. You don't have... Hollywood actors, you don't have filmmakers, you don't have public intellectuals, people like, you know, Robert Kennedy Jr. and Bill Delahunt, the congressman from... You don't have these people defending them. That is what's so offensive about Venezuela. This
1: and- uh, this brings up uh, uh, a, a couple of things in my brain. One is the absolute um, dead end of uh, kind of oppositional thinking. And you see this, uh, see this on the left, you see this among a lot of libertarians too. When you start... Um, you know, if you start from the perspective of American foreign policy is, if not the great Satan, but it's 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 the primary mover of bad actions in the world. There's right. a lot of people who believe that. Probably, yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably one of them in this room. Uh, <laughs> not gonna, maybe, I'm not going to mention names. We're just going like, to let people yeah. try to figure that one out. No, um, you need to you need to call it out. <laughs> no, you need to call oh, it out, poster. man. Uh, you got something to say? Say it. Uh, <laughs> and so when you start from that premise, you go looking for whoever. America is saying the nastiest things about so that you can go and defend those people. Because obviously, if we are if the great if the war party uh, is out there cranking up the propaganda machine against Vladimir Putin, against uh, Hugo Chavez, against Slobodan Milosevic, um, then there must be something worth defending over right. there. And yeah, so you yeah. get a lot of people who go right into that kind of oppositional frame and looking for any kind of green democratic shoots in places that are horrifyingly misgoverned. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's the one. Uh, and the two is that, um, to your point, Monaghan, uh and, and this is irritating um, there, you uh, you do not uh, get uh, a get out of supporting Pinochet free uh, card uh, with almost. And, and, and by the way, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Uh, yes. You shouldn't. Because uh, you know what? You can
2: – and, and, and I, libertarians and people on the right really drive me crazy when they say there was kind of an economic miracle that happened after Allende was overthrown. And if you look at it, it's like, uh, yeah, the the economy did pretty well compared to a lot of other Latin uh, South American countries. Right. But, you know, you can do that without murdering people in a soccer stadium. It's a pretty simple premise. I don't I, know why people don't point
1: this I out. Remember, I remember being at uh, the Democratic Convention in 2000. So now I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting old here. And there was a uh, – a protest uh, along the Broadway there, um, yeah, you know, the arguably the most capitalistic uh, street in uh, in Los Angeles um, was shut down by a bunch of commies. Uh, the <laughs> protest was over uh, the Rampart police scandal, which was really one of the worst police mm. scandals in the 1990s. And I mean, this how many movies and TV shows have, have gone just based on Rampart. They were sitting there and and framing illegal immigrants uh, for crime saying, we'll deport you. So you have to admit that you shot someone that we actually shot. That was happening all over the place. So I go to this uh, rally both to cover it and also to say, yeah, you know what? I I associate myself with protesting this awful thing, Mm. uh, which was uh, uh, incentivized or made uh, happen by a Clintonian uh, immigration policy. But that's a different uh, 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 question. Um, But so at this rally talking about police abuse. I have to listen to at least three or four speakers talk about how fucking great Fidel Castro is, yeah. and it's like, can we? Is it possible that we can just actually concentrate on the problem and not hear about Mumia Jamal this this, this, <laughs> just this one time? Uh, and and it's I and I got to know some of these people when I moved to Cuba for a, a brief time in 1998. These people who within the context of Cuba will say, you know, I'm a I'm a critic of the regime. These are political p- pilgrims. To your professor's point, I, you know, I'm I'm a I, I'm a constructive critic of the of the Castro's. You know, they were wrong to ban the Beatles in the 1960s and they can they went too far. And then when you see them in Berkeley uh, talking at some kind of uh, 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 conference or whatever, uh, and someone will say, yeah, Cuba doesn't have a free press they'll say well uh, does america really have a free press well will the corporations and all the advertising and things like that it's this horrible whataboutism but
2: yeah. what, whataboutism is the is the great disease of of the cold war and it's it's you know it's something that you get now i mean any time i mean twitter Exists to revive the idea of what and if, if you don't, listeners, if you don't, uh, if you're not familiar with this, look it up. is I believe there's actually a Wikipedia entry on what because yeah, I've sent is. I've sent it to people before, <laughs> and it is. I try to keep people focused on on things. They say, you know, if I say something about Cuba, the human rights in Cuba, and they say, you know, Freddie Gray, and I will always say the same thing to them. I said, look. I'd love to have that discussion with you. Yeah. So let's parcel these things out and let's have a discussion yes. later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we can do it. We can find a five minute block later to talk about this. Let's talk about the fact that people are being arrested because they have different political views. And if they want to publish something, there is no avenue for them to do that. And if they want to publish it on the Internet, the Internet does not exist. For the, them.
0: The, the feeling feeling awful about both things, hating them both is uh, it, it's not mutually exclusive. You don't have to do that. And I, and I certainly appreciate that. Not. I mean, we've talked about I think it was last week where we talked about sort of the thin line between like def- hating Donald Trump and effectively defending the incumbent regime. I, I think there's a thin line there. I've seen people cross it and essentially be defending the status quo and in very much the same way, sometimes good, right thinking people. Uh, in an attempt to talk about a complicated foreign policy issue, will bring up yes, the role that the United States played in trying to under undermine a regime or something like that. Sure. Um. And uh, I, I would completely agree. I mean, you you definitely don't want to excuse some horrible, egregious thing that is taking place um only to point to some other bad thing that the United States has sure. done. That 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 sort of ridiculous moral false uh, moral equivalence is uh and and by the way
2: to your to your point it's not that it's not worth talking about what happened in guatemala in 1954 what happened in dominican republic all this stuff is worth talking about and i think that the broader point of the howard Zinn's of the world is is you know in the broader sense is right that this was kind of written out of american history for a long time yes but unfortunately when it was integrated back into american history because i think howard Zinn's book is probably the most Popular history book in America, and right. it has been for ten, fifteen years. It it replaced junk history with new junk history, and you know, I mean, there's there have been it was a good piece in the New Republic um, back when it wasn't totally, you know, wasn't totally worthless um, about. The Mossadegh coup, which was brought up by Bernie Sanders. I mean, so this stuff is actually coming up in presidential debates, and the kind of interesting things that actually happened. The, you know, was American involved? Absolutely. Yeah. Was it as simple as the CIA going in and just destroying democracy? No, it was a little more complicated than that. Yeah. And there's a lot of that stuff that gets that gets destroyed, and it's in the sort of you know us versus them. We're we're the good guys, we're the bad guys. I mean, we were talking about this before, um, actually, before we started today, is like I'm 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 anti-war, except for you know when Russia. Annex as part of a of a sovereign nation, (laughs) and all of a sudden I'm really not that anti-war. I mean, because what it basically always boils down to, and it's worthless to sort of expend too much breath on this because it never changes, is what your guy does, and it's very very hard to make sure that like you know I I think there are people that are very rare species that are good at this. One person I will say in a very similar vein that is good at is Glenn Greenwald, who I disagree with a lot. But I think that Glenn is somebody who is actually pretty consistent on a certain number of issues, regardless of who's doing the talking. And I think on stuff like free speech, Mm -hmm. you know, if a guy who is like, you know, if a Laura Ingram or one of these kind of right wing people... In their speeches being sort of infringed upon, I can imagine Glenn Greenwald would be there. Um, I think that that consistency is is pretty rare in politics, but it always you know it makes for good copy because we always point out the hypocrisy of everybody, right? Yeah, and, and I mean,
0: and I, I don't want to go I don't want to go too far in, in qualifying things because for me, I I definitely am one of those kooky people uh, who will talk openly about blowback. Um, and the fact that U.S. foreign policy does, in fact, create bad situations unintentionally that we end up having to deal with years and years later,
1: and which that doesn't way, suggest that's w- the
0: only that's the only thing that pushes the domino over. Which, by the way, but is, is, is the something
1: that the U.S. governments and military and State Department and CIA and defense advisory boards all acknowledge. I,
0: yeah, yeah, I was being sarcastic when I called it kooky.
2: No. <laughs> oh, no, but I mean, it, it's taken. I think it's often taken to uh, a, a kooky place. And sure, I know if you're listening, Thad, we're waiting for you to come in. Yeah, <laughs> this is Thad. will it. be here. Yeah, Thad oh, good, will be here good,
0: um, good. at the end
2: of this month. Yeah, and yeah. and, and um, Thaddeus Russell, Thaddeus, Thaddeus Russell, Thaddeus author Russell, of Renegade I mean, History of and the, and the United I, and States. I've Very said, good friend. I've said this off air to to Camille. Um, I love that. I think he's brilliant, and I think he's really endlessly interesting. And um, we have, I think, the disagreement on the blowback thing because I just, I don't think that it doesn't exist, and I don't think that's not something we should pay attention to. I think that there are people who their motivations is opposition to the status quo of American foreign policy, which is totally fine. Who overvalue the blowback theory and say that essentially this is it. So, and it also that it that it governs every every movement of American foreign policy. So. Are there times in which there will be blowback, but it is worth it? So, for instance, if there's a roiling genocide, we don't sort of do this anymore because it's post Iraq. Iraq mm-hmm. is kind of blue in this, mm-hmm. you know. It, you know, if this, if Syria happened in 1998. It would be a very, very different response. And George W. Bush and, and the you know people that, that were in his administration do bear a lot of responsibility for this. Yeah. The ultimate responsibility is in the hand of the Assad regime, but they bear a responsibility for how America reacts to this. But if it was in the 1990s and we know, like, OK, Al-Qaeda is going to get mad at us – I think it's often forgotten that we should be making Al-Qaeda. But I think
0: that the calculus of, is it worth it? Sure. It is, it's hard. I, I, I think you're it absolutely is, right. it is really hard. And in, and in retrospect, you know, should we, should we go to Iraq? Should we go to Afghanistan? Sure. Should we destroy the hell out of, out, out of Al-Qaeda and cripple them and get rid of them? Is that the thing to do? Um, well, in this particular case, I'm not so sure you because, because the, yeah. the mix of bad policy happenstance and frankly, like deliberate consequence was we end up with this miserable thing called ISIS that we're still trying to disentangle. And the fact of the matter is, I think for, for the, for Thad, who isn't here to defend himself. Yeah, but we're uh, excited to, his, just, had just his just name to point out that we really, we're, excited, yeah, to yeah, yeah, we're come, excited to have him especially come. come. <laughs> but, but I think there's, there's something to be said for the, the the reams of research that suggests that when you're dealing with an organization like an Al Qaeda, for example, or some other terrorist organization that's carrying out what is effectively a genocide in some particular place, that trying to take these people on head on um, and cut off the head of the snake often does not do the trick. Um, That's right. And we've seen study after study that suggests as much. So I think, you know, for that reason, for that reason alone, having a sense that actions have consequences and often those consequences are unintended. Um, In fact, they're almost always unintended consequences. And you can't talk about the scope of them because you can't know. It just seems appropriate.
2: And to bridge but, to but, bridge to a media story quickly, yes. and this we can jump on to something else here, which yes, I thought was yes, really yes. pretty pretty interesting. Was there was a bit of a ruckus the other day on uh, Twitter because there's a uncle ruckus, uh, a, a uncle <laughs> ruckus. I think that's why that is in my head. Um, <laughs> that there's an illiterate um, website for um mentally ill children called Breitbart.com, and they, oh they had they had <laughs> oh. a, um, a a headline. Um, that said, that referred to Bill Kristol because we're talking about uh, neoconservatives and things like that in the Iraq War, as a renegade Jew. <laughs> now I made fun of this, um, as many people did. Then I clicked on the link and realized that it was actually written by David Horowitz, the mm-hmm. ex-New Leftist uh, Black Panther hanger-on turned complete psychopath for the other side. And the interesting thing that literally nobody pointed out about this piece, and and to your point about. Do, do these policies end up working, and how do we look at them after the fact? I mean, I know my my baggage has shifted on these issues of Iraq and a number of others, uh, uh, foreign interventions, and the rest over time, um, Matt's had, too. David Horowitz, in this piece, was attacking, used neoconservative as a pejorative, and attacked Bill Kristol for saying, like, you know, what the hell is wrong with you guys? You know, intervention doesn't work. And I said, Jesus If you didn't have that headline, you'd be burying a pretty interesting lead of some guy that smeared everyone who opposed the Iraq war as a traitor. And it's now reached, I think, just about everyone with the exception of Bill Kristol, right? I mean, you know, I know people at the Weekly Standard are very skeptical of intervention, too, now. I mean, it's it's really—it's just—it's not—there's really not a big movement. Because remember, Republicans uh, in—you know, who's the foreign policy team for 2012— Who's the foreign policy team and the nominee in 2008? These are all retreads of, you know, the Kagan's and the Boots and things like this. And now that just really, I mean, here's, it the doesn't exist. here's the thing.
1: Here's one of the reasons why I think that the never Trump people uh, get up Camille's hackles uh, and and mine, too, to a degree. The ones who are the most vociferous are Max Boot, mm. Bill Kristol, uh, Fred Kagan uh, and uh, the that other dude uh Brett Stevens. Brett Stevens, yeah. So, four of the of the most neoconi, most interventionists, because neocon isn't really even a word anymore, but just more military interventionist people on the planet. Um they are the ones who are still, I mean there was a piece in Bloomberg or Politico uh earlier this week talking about how they think, well, you know, let's get Mark Cuban. Uh, let's get uh, let's get Ben yeah, Sasse. Let's get uh, Paul, Paul Ryan. Let's run in maybe just three states to try to tip the election. I mean, they're playing in fantasy land uh, where you know it's over. You can't do a third party. The only third party that you can possibly do at this point is the Libertarian Party, uh, which is on all or will be on all fifty states on the ballots. Um, but the fact that that it's the interventionists who are so vociferously uh, threatening to take their ball and go home, which they also did in two thousand and one. That's gone down the memory hole. George W. Bush ran as a humble foreign policy guy. Um, It was a brutal fight. Uh, You know, the the Weekly Standard crowd thought that they detected a whiff of possible kind of Christianism with the Michael Gerson kind of faith based initiative stuff there. They felt like maybe they were being put on the outs. They they were thinking about going bull moose and starting a third party and Marshall Whitman and all these kind of guys. And it just that was happening in the summer of 2001. And then 9-11 happened and suddenly it was okay for neoconservatives to be near the White House again. But the only time that they didn't get their actual candidate or someone who believes in their foreign policy in recent memory, they threatened to bolt and now they're threatening to bolt again. And I think that it's it's kind of sinking um, along with really awful strategy, but it's sinking the kind of never Trump vibe because it's like dude. You're the ones who brought Sarah Palin onto the universe, Oof. and you are the, are the ones who supported, that's exactly right. supported yeah. these uh, these foreign policies, which a lot of people, which contributes mightily to the overall sense that the elites have totally failed. Sure, at. sure. And, and
2: by the way, on this point, and just a quick plug for somebody that I don't know, but a book that I'm reading right now, and to the point about uh, Bush in 2000 and how this team developed and why it was the perfect team for an Iraq intervention after 9-11, you probably could have coasted had 9-11 not happened and there would have been a fight with China uh, is or a focus on China is uh, Peter Baker from The New York Times I wrote a book about a year and a half, two years ago uh, called Days of Fire. And I got a review copy of it, and I just got around to uh, starting it. I'm on about 100 pages in, and good God, is it a masterpiece? I mean, just a totally sort of dry, non-ideological ideological account of the, the kind of cauldron in mm-hmm. which that Bush team, and it's about Bush and Cheney's relationship and how that was formed, and it's really, really fascinating.
0: Interesting. Um, we uh, should move on from—we we're, were supposed to be talking about Venezuela. We went in, in an interesting direction <laughs> yeah. here. Um, but, 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 we didn't, but we didn't name-check uh, David Serrata. Um, yeah. I believe that's that's the correct pronunciation Did I get that right. I would know. Sirota, um, I yeah, so. yeah, Sirota. Uh, you should totally follow the guy on Twitter. He's, he's taking a break, having, <laughs> yeah, he got on having defended, having defended the Chavez regime uh, and then throwing up a, a few you know who else tepid, yeah. tepid defenses of his position before, yeah. including a 2013 chart showing the massive growth <laughs> in GDP under Chavez. My least favorite uh, punditry trope is when you talk about the performance of the economy under a particular president in a particular year. And it is obvious to every living soul who has a pulse and has actually looked at the data that that has nothing to do with the person who is in charge. The stuff that might actually have something to do with the person who is in charge is perhaps inflation, which still managed to jump by an additional 10 points under Chavez in 2013 when you were talking about it, putting it at 31.6 percent, the notion That you defended in the economy of a country because inequality had shrunk, which was the important thing. Uh, Cenk Uger, whatever the hell your name is um, (laughs) over there at the Young Turks. uh, You you did that, too. You did that, too. You're also a tool who was wrong about that thing, although you're probably a nice guy and correct about any number of other things. But you're wrong about that. So we should move on from there. Is he
2: that young? I don't think so. Yeah, I think he's Turkish though. <laughs> I know he's that, bit. but but uh, you know, yeah, it's it's the old uh, like the that, uh, Thatcher's last uh, question time in which she says to to the opponent Labour, she's about it's about income inequality. Her last question time she took, and she you can't see if you look at this. I'm sort of gesticulating, and she says to my my right honourable opponent mm-hmm. would prefer that the you know the gap was here. It wasn't here, but was down here, meaning that the, the income inequality gap has shrunk because the rich have become poorer and the poor have remained the same. And that's essentially what happened in Venezuela where everyone left. Absolutely. You know, David Cerati is is now, which I think is great, is off Twitter yeah. because he's getting uh, too much abuse. And a lot of the people that I follow in Venezuela... Um are often off Twitter because they don't have any electricity. Ouch. so I mean, you know, Jeez. you know, I, I did
0: send him an email um earlier you did, today you did, and you ask did. if he if he would come talk to us. Um, I got a spam bounce back because I suppose he's inundated. So thank you, uh, young libertarian, conservatarian free market weirdos uh, for for heckling him uh, and harassing him on twitter. and And the truth is, if he came, I would totally speak to him in a in a respectful manner because uh, I want to have an exchange of ideas. Let's do his that. bad ones for my my good ones. Let's do that. Uh, so. Yeah, let's go uh, on to the next thing. So, Matt, there's apparently something called the Libertarian Party. They've got now, why, candidates. Why are you so down on this? Like... Talk talk to me about. it. Okay, tell me so... tell me tell me why I should care. And you know, I mean, I've I've gone to a Libertarian Party convention in the past. Spoke. Um, I do think that there are plenty of really good, honest people, hardworking people, holding up the standard of ideas that I care about. At like the LP convention, so why are you pissing on him? I'm I'm kind of weirded out by the candidates, dude. So, all <laughs> like, right. I, Gary Johnson, God love him. I'm kind of weirded out. What are you weirded about? Out Let's talk. About I this. don't know. I mean, he's got the respectability <laughs> thing going, right? Like yeah. he he's a he's a former governor, Tutor entrepreneur. Governor you know, he's Mexico. respectable. But I then we start to talk about policy and stuff, and he's. Uh, so he's, he's too a, squishy. A little bit, a little bit the, of equivocation. That's there's a, there. I don't know.
1: Um, so what you want is a two-term governor. Um, so he has the executive experience and also an entrepreneurial experience. But you also want him to be totally eloquent. pure on a libertarian. Not, not, not even
0: necessarily totally pure. Like I, I will take just sufficiently eloquent and well-spoken to get the job done and to compete on the, on the national stage. My, and the truth is he... He may be so. There is no doubt in my mind that of the three major candidates running for the Libertarian Party nomination, that he's the guy. (laughs)
2: <laughs> not john mcafee yeah, yeah no you not, a great please, not, piece not about him, Mac- his wife is a former prostitute and he i did not murder really do it
0: i, I honestly I hadn't paid any attention to that murder the the whole murder charges against him or any of the backstory i didn't want to And I, now that i've dug into it it's like are you
2: kidding me can, can we just say that the libertarian party's <laughs> we're, we're making quest, quest for respectability would be a little easier if one of the pe- one of the three people in the libertarian primary wasn't recently accused of murder
1: <laughs> uh you know as he points out yeah. <laughs> he was never charged with murder. He it's was, true. It's true. Listen, I uh, don't know. No, I know
2: they should maybe maybe just put OJ on the ticket. Uh, he, he's he innocent. is
1: he is an international fugitive. Uh, he is the tar- which is fun. I with, mean that the, the girls targeted. love a bad boy. Yeah, it's good. I, I went. I was at the, uh, the, the 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 first of all this this race has I've never seen anything like the amount of inter- interest in the Libertarian Party race, which makes Facts. sense. It is the third party in this country. Um, uh, It's gotten to the point where reason is the target on a daily basis of oppo research dumps among the candidates. (laughs) I'm not making this up. Like, hey, did you hear about John McAvee's wrongful death suit? You should go look at this. Oh, hey, did you hear about Gary Johnson's uh, cannabis business? Uh, It looks a little bit shady on the end. We are getting we're the recipient. We're like investigating some of the stuff uh, here, which is we've never seen anything like that before. And you can understand this is, you know, yeah. For the price of winning half of around a 1,000 delegates at a convention at the end of May in Orlando, which I'm going to, which John Stagliano's going to, it's going to be, Matt Kibby's. It's going to be fun. That sounds weird. like a wild party. It's going to be a party, dude. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, John, John
2: Sandlin of uh, the director of Storm Squirters,
1: right? Storm Squirters are two and Yeah, three, I,
2: yeah. Think he, I think he did the whole series. But um, <laughs> if, it, you're, if you're
0: Googling that, no, it's true. don't do it at work. Yeah, no. yeah. There's, Those are pornographic
2: films. Well, uh, Reason defended him that he was actually prosecuted over Storm Squirters, yeah, which is could, why I am he could I have spent that. the rest of his no, life no, in No, he uh, is a brave hokey. defender and, of, and, of and the First Amendment. And milk
1: nymphos. And, uh, <laughs> oh, it's true. It's actually called milk nymphos. Super nice guy. I've never watched any
0: of these films, by the way.
1: It, we've never seen this level of interest in the LP thing, uh, which is interesting on its own uh, and uh, about Gary. So the three guys are so Gary Johnson, former New Mexico and 2012 nominee for the Libertarian Party when it did its first or second best ever. But that's still not very much. It's a million votes, 1%. Um, other candidate is John McAfee of the antivirus software thing, who has taken the world's most interesting man ad campaign as a personal dare <laughs> to try to marry former sex slaves. And uh, the Internet is just filled with filthy pictures of him with guns and his shirt off and babes licking him. And by filthy, you mean, rem- you mean remarkable. Uh, I mean, it's aspirational yeah, uh, yeah. for some people uh, here, uh, Camille. And then the other guy's Austin Peterson, who is a uh, fresh... Uh, 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 apple-cheeked uh, <laughs> guy who takes credit for Judge Napolitano's career, which is pretty interesting it, for did, what, a 35-year-old. I'm sorry? He did. In an interview with Dave Weigel, our friend uh, at the Washington Post, he said that you know he was the one who like uh, mm. got Judge Knapp where he is today. Um, Camille, is, you should just see the look on his face when, when I say I mean, honestly, Austin. Honestly, like, like, I've, I've tried
0: not to say like anything at all publicly about the election. I, li- I know Austin. Like I've, I've talked to Austin. I think Austin is, he's a, he's a, he's an okay kid. Um, let's hear that. What an endorsement. Let's hear that. But (laughs) I really, I don't even want to do it. Cause the truth is it's trivial. It's trivial. I, I probably agree with him on most of these things, but when he is up there pretending to be a candidate, like (laughs) giving his practice talking points, I want to break my television in half, (laughs) I, I rip the cord out of my laptop, and what I've already it? smashed what three it of them. What is
2: it that fills you with rage? I don't know. Yeah.
0: As I said, <laughs> it is unfair, and it's trivial, and, and, and a little vapid, but I don't care. I feel it. It's a real thing. No. Absolutely not. I want it to stop. What, the, the the whole campaign, or just Austin's? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I will I'm not, say not this, sure. Uh, but, I, but listen, no, uh, seriously, honestly, I do. I appreciate the interest in the LP. I think the LP is a good thing. I'm glad it exists. Uh, I'm glad that there's someone out there advocating for the ideas that I care about. It is unfortunate that once you finally seem to have a moment where anyone is remotely interested in you, that it devolves into this thing where it's not so much about the ideas. Like even for even for I, I'm going to use this weird word us Um and I I don't really mean it in the way you think. Um, like they have devolved into sort of throwing crap at each other and
2: posturing and the quality isn't that the the transition really uh, it transitioned to a real party to a real party and awfulness overall. I discovered um as you guys saw when I came in here because of um you know our engineer here uh, that uh, when not next not this forthcoming week but the following week I'm um on Bill Maher show. And one of the other (laughs) guests is a former LP uh, vice presidential candidate, Trump supporter, um, Wayne Allen Root. Yeah. Um, So I think it's kind of an achievement that Gary Johnson, despite his kind of low energy and his you know, he's not a particularly um, spry debater and things like that. But I think it's a it's a great uh, improvement from a conspiracy theorist uh, betting mogul who uh, <laughs> spent the past couple of years trying to fund a campaign to reveal uh, Obama's yeah. Columbia transcripts, which would be the Rosetta Stone and change everything. I mean, go go, know what's wrong with these
1: people. Go look at a at a, <laughs> uh, a transcript I uh, I I published, much to his uh, chagrin, of a conversation he and I and some other people had at the twenty twelve. He Wayne Allen wrote. Oh, uh, I know mm. pretty well. Uh, I guess. Uh, I mean, I've, talk, I've interacted with a lot, but he was going off on this and his theory is like Obama wasn't even there because oh, yeah. oh, he was at Columbia at the same time. I didn't see Obama. I, who was this guy? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, go, go, uh, go check it out. Well, I'll have I hadn't heard that conspiracy. Uh, theory if you've made it this
2: far into the podcast and you happen to tune in uh, next week, now I have something in my back pocket that I will throw at him um, and say, you know, I mean, should I really trust the opinion of somebody who is thinks that Obama was a a mirage at <laughs> <laughs> Columbia. So I don't know. Anyway. Why are you afraid of the uh, truth? Michael? Well, well
0: we're, we are running low. We are running low on time uh, here. Not um, on energy though. Not no, on energy. No, no, no. no. I'm, I'm so, and you I'm got little, like four
2: hours of sleep. last I'm night. I'm a
0: little torn. I, I got like three hours of sleep last night. Uh, I'm a little torn. I, I feel a little weird. I I feel like I might've been a little hard on the LP, which I, I like. I do. I genuinely do. Um, good people there. Just, just wish things were better. That's all. I wish the world were a better place. And you're right to point out the silver lining. Um, so apparently a lady wrote a book about kids that can do magic and she made a ton of money and she really likes Donald Trump. Who, Who are you talking about?
1: Uh, J.K. Rowling. Raw-
2: oh, 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 she wrote a book about math. I thought it was like
0: no, tricks or something. Magic. Magic um, kids who can do magic. That is what her books were. He's, about. he's teeing yeah. up the party shot. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. This is the parting shot. And um, to those of you out there who um, are great fans of our—and um, we do have fans of this, of our segment, Some Idiot Wrote This. Uh, don't worry, because a lot of idiots wrote a lot of things uh, this week, <laughs> and you can find them on the Twitter feeds of Camille Foster, Matt Welch, and Michael Moynihan. We but, kinda, and we kind of did that with the Venezuela thing. Yeah, I mean. we can, that's actually one big—some um, yeah. uh, idiot wrote this. But uh, today there was uh, uh, a thing that I tweeted, and, and, and it's a J.K. Rowling—a Rowling—, uh, a Rowling um, we'll get her name. Some of us mm. will get her name sometime. Uh, support, like surprisingly supported Donald Trump. I will read the uh, tweet. Uh, JK Rowling just launched into a very unlikely defense of Donald Trump. Oh my God. Outrage. People are going to read. It's clickbait bullshit because what JK Rowling did is what, what everybody should do. JK Rowling said, and it's a disgrace at Penn because Penn uh, the writer's organization that disgraced itself um Um, Well, half of them disgraced themselves uh, vis-a-vis Charlie Hebdo last year. Um, She uh, got an award, a free speech uh, uh, award, free speech and social justice award uh, here in New York. And so during this time, she said, uh, uh, only last year we saw an online uh, petition to ban Donald Trump from entry into the UK. It garnered half a million signatures. Now, what is the independent report that happened amongst the the bien pensant uh, people in the audience? Rowling began prompting applause, and she said this. Just a moment, she continued. Now, I find almost everything that Mr. Trump says objectionable, I consider him offensive and bigoted. But he has my full support to come to my country and be offensive and bigoted here. Mm. His freedom to speak protects my freedom to call him a bigot. Congratulations, J.K. Rowling. You're this week's hero. Amen. Um that is a heroic uh, is that is that yours no. or oh no, it's, God. it's
0: someone it's Oh someone. no cuz
2: I told JK Rowling to call in yeah, cuz no. we were giving her the hero award <laughs> but I just wanted to thank say thank you it, Michael I just wanted to, <laughs> to point out that this um the way it was framed by the independent as launched a uh, very unlikely defense no, no. She didn't launch a defense of Donald Trump. She wants a defense of Donald Trump's rights. And it's not an unlikely one. It is a very average, boring one that unfortunately is something that we don't hear a lot of these days because people have lost their bloody minds.
1: Because people at Penn are clapping at the idea of banning Donald Trump. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Well, people.
2: they're signaling to their fellow Penn people that they hate. Everybody knows that everybody hates Donald Trump. I'm a part of this hate Donald Trump thing, too. But it's still important for everybody to always you know, signal to everybody else that we're you know, We we support you, UK, in preventing the entry of people that have uh, loathsome views in the way that Donald Trump – this is not pointed out by J.K. Rowling – in the way that Donald Trump would have to make an exception in his Muslim uh, – temporary Muslim ban. Which, which was the, just an idea, by the which way. Which was just an idea, by the <laughs> way. To <laughs> just, the just, new just mayor of London who is a Muslim – nobody has pointed this out and this just occurred to me <laughs> – is that you probably shouldn't, uh, if he became the new president, God forbid – I I think you're probably not going to equalize by preventing Donald Trump from coming to London.
0: Ah ah. You,
2: uh, see, you I, may you I, may tr- want to clarify. Um,
0: did you mention what Penn is? You're talking about the University of Pennsylvania, right? No, no I'm talking about. I, the, I know. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, it's right. Also, sarcasm. I'm really bad at sarcasm. It's even yeah. worse on the podcast.
1: <laughs> like I'm so terrible at sarcasm. You are. You're historically bad at sarcasm. No, it's and true. It always like, I've known you. Yeah. I
0: mean, and I'm not bad at many things. Like that is pretty much the only thing
2: I'm bad at. Um, oh, I get Siri talking to me now. Everyone's yeah, just saying, can you well, everyone's stop. saying, well, no, hey, You were going to say what Penn is, and then yeah, we're going to go. Yeah, it's, it's a writer's organization here um, that does uh, really good things and has, really, and has <laughs> unfortunately, don't. really bad members. Um, <laughs> so that might, Siri was just telling me that we're out of time. Okay. Any, anything from you,
1: Welch? Uh, we you go? know, just that uh, next week I'll be going to the aforementioned uh, Libertarian Party Convention. It's going to be fun.
0: Yeah. I support I support that. Thank you. I support that. I may go with you. Come down. Be all fun. People. It was awesome, people.
1: We, we, we Enjoyed it. It's great. See you next time.
0: Fifth column. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe on, on, on iTunes. Follow-up. Follow-up. Make sure you come back next week. Or else.